that was my fault because I didn't turn my mic on on time because like me, like everybody else, is running a little bit slow uh, this morning. Jason had a great suggestion for me earlier. If, if you guys want to complain about my message, email Aaron Reed. At, uh, <laughs> he'll be so piled in other... By the time the hazmat van leaves his house, uh, <laughs> with Hannah not there and three sick kids, like... Uh, It'll never come to me, so email him. Uh, no, but it's good to see you guys. If you don't know me, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And like Jake said, we are in the Gospel of John this morning, John chapter 4. And we're in the last section of John chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 43 through 54. You know, and as we, the, last, the last two weeks, we've been looking at the story of, of Jesus as he interacted with a Samaritan woman um, by the well. And if you don't know, like, the history of the Jews and the Samaritans, like... This, this Samaritan woman who was living with a guy that she wasn't even married to, who had five husbands before him, um, who was like of this like kind of like mixed race of people that the Jews hated. Like this Samaritan woman was the la- least likely person that you would expect would become a follower of Jesus. And, and what we saw is that Jesus engaged her. Jesus crossed like the political barriers, the ethnic barriers, the religious barriers that she had like to, to bring the message of hope of the gospel to her. And he, he promised her that if, if she were to like believe in him, that she would like have this living water within her, this work of the spirit within her um, that would always be available to quench those deepest thirsts in her life. You know, and that woman then immediately went and told like everybody else, all the other Samaritans in the city that she was in. And in John chapter four, verse 42 Um, this was the response of all the Samaritans, and and they said this, and they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Like the Samaritans recognized that this Jesus who came was the one who came to save not just Jews, but to save the whole world. And kind of like the first big group that we see come to believe in Jesus is the group you would least likely expect it was these Samaritans you know and and this is exactly what John says the purpose of his book is this this book that we've been studying is that he says this in John chapter 20 he says many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples which are not written in in this book and then he gives his purpose for the book he says this but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that believing you may have life in his name You know, John tells us right out of the gates, or this is at the end of his book, but his purpose that that is infused throughout the book is that it's faith and believing in Jesus that that brings us life. It's eternal life. It's this new quality of life that that we can't have apart from him. You know, that's the premise of his book, and that's what's been playing out here, and it's all contingent upon this idea of belief, that in believing, you may have life in his name. Now, I think, like, it's interesting, because, like, if, if you're a Christian here this morning, like, you're going to b- be like, yeah, 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 we know that we have to believe in Jesus to, like, have eternal life, and, and that we know that the scriptures tell us that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. But I was, as I was reflecting on this message this week, I realized, like, we, even though we acknowledge that, we really don't talk that much about, like, what that kind, what faith is, and what that saving faith, what's the difference between just like acknowledging Jesus and believing in Jesus in a way that you would receive life in his name. We talk about faith, but we don't really kind of engage like what does that look like, like in our day-to-day life, and how do we like, like 
grow in our faith and and what is that faith impact supposed to be in our heart and mind and and the story we're going to read today is a short one um it's just i don't know 12 verses or something um but it engages that question like what does saving faith look like and and it's going to break out into three kind of sections in verses 43 through 45 we're going to have this picture of inadequate faith there's going to be these these groups of people that either just completely discard who Jesus is or or just have a like a insufficient faith in him then we're going to see an unexpected faith from a person that one another person that we would kind of least expect to come into the kingdom in verses 46 through 50 and then we're going to see like how his faith expands and grows as we wrap it up in verses 51 through 54 so please stand with me and i'm going to go ahead and just uh i think i'll read the whole text this morning i'll go ahead and read the whole text then we'll pray and then we'll get into our study and this is god's word for his church john chapter 4 starting at verse 43 after, and after two days, he went forth from there into Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his, own home, in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. He came, he came therefore again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was requesting him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus therefore said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he started off. And as he was going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. They said, therefore, to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed, and his whole household. This is, again, a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for... Um, Jesus Christ and for everything that he is and everything that he accomplished and and the salvation and grace that's available in him and so father I just pray as we get into the study today that you would you would grow our faith so that we would truly believe in you follow you and and order our lives under you um, for your glory and for our good we pray these things in Jesus name amen you can be seated you know, as we get started here in verses 43 through 45, it's kind of this general section, and, and it reminds us, it says, and after, t- after two days, he's reminding us of the, the time that Jesus spent in Samaria. Like, Jesus not only engaged this woman at Samaria, but he hung out with the Samaritans for a couple days, and he taught them, and it says that many of the Samaritans believed um, because of his teaching there. And then it says that he, he went from there into Galilee, and that's somewhat of a surprise, because one of the things that happened in chapter 4 that I haven't mentioned that we, that we studied last week is that in chapter 4, I think it's verse 26, um, Jesus unequivocally like, and clearly states that he is the promised Messiah. He's the one that's going to come and reestablish God's kingdom over, over his people. He's the one that's going to bring in the time of promised blessing upon the people of God. And, and he's the one that they've been hoping for ever since like humanity fell away in the garden. And so you would think, like a Jewish person would think, well, now that he's declared that he's the Messiah, he should go back into Jerusalem, which is the capital of, of Israel. It's the political and, and uh, religious center of the nation of Israel. But it says he doesn't go there. 
he continues on to Galilee, which is kind of like this, this redneck, like in the Jewish mind, it was kind of like this redneck, like hick part of the nation where just a bunch of uncivilized people like live. Probably unlike, not unlike Creekside, right? So Bill's house, right? Bill's house. They went to go live with Bill, is what the Greek actually says. So the, uh, yeah. You asked, you asked for a bill, so, yeah, just got to go. Yeah, Shirley civilizes him. Sorry, Shirley. I'll apologize to you. Uh, you know, but it's interesting because what it says, and we're given this reason why he does that. It says in verse 40, 44, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his, my, my translation reads, in his own country. I think mo- many of your translations probably read in his own hometown, the word, the word can really be translated either way. It could be translated like the, the land of your fathers, or it could be translated like the home of your fathers. And, and as you look at it in context, I think probably the best, idea, the best way to understand it is, is in this idea of country, because what he's doing is he's leaving Judea, and he's coming into Galilee. And what, it, what, what John is telling us is that Jesus, the promised Messiah, the one who from the Jews is coming to bring salvation for the whole world, was, had no honor when he was back in Judea, where Jerusalem was, he had no honor in his own home country. And so he left there and was going into Galilee. It's, it's, an, it's exactly fulfilling what John said would happen in John 1, 11 and 12. He says this, that Jesus, he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. That that, and this is a surprising thing, that, that Jesus came to those ones that you would be sure would accept him. They're the ones that had the scriptures that promised of his coming. They're the ones that had the details. They're the ones that had the, the family history that all pointed to the arrival of Jesus. And when Jesus arrived to them, they didn't receive him. When he went into Judea, he had no honor in his home country. And so he went to Galilee. This was actually prophesied, I don't have time to go here this morning, but it was actually prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah chapter 9, the prophet says that Jesus is going, like the Messiah is going to come from the region of Zebulun and from Naphtali, which is in this region of Galilee. Zebulun is where Nazareth and the city of Cana that we read about where, where this story takes place is. Naphtali is where the city of Capernaum is, which is where this... this uh, this official is from. In fact, I have a map. I think the I think the map is out of order, but I'll just throw it up here if you guys can grab that map. Um, I guess you can probably read that. But at the end of that kind of yellowish orange line, you see the city of Cana there. That's where the story takes place today. Um, and then on the Sea of Galilee in the north end, there's that like target dot with the red and the black. That's the city of Capernaum, where this royal official is from. It's about 20 miles between the two, but that's the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, where the prophet Isaiah said that the people who sat in darkness would see a great light. Those who like lived in the shadow of death, upon them a light has shone, I think it says. And then it says that later on in Isaiah 9 is that one we read at Christmas, for unto them shall, how does it read? Like Linus, where are you? A child is born, a son will be given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. You guys know it. If not, read, watch the Christmas special with Linus. See, he reads it. So, Jesus is going to come here, and yet when he arrived on his own, his own didn't show him honor, and his own didn't receive him. And so he went to the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
um, to, to this area of Galilee um, to establish his ministry there because he had some work to do before he went to the cross. Like what John's telling us is what happened here in this moment that caused Jesus to reside in Galilee is, is ultimately going to foreshadow what happens. The nation of Israel is ultimately going to reject Jesus. Spoiler alert. They're going to kill him. They're going to bury him, and he's going to raise from the dead. That, we'll talk about that towards the end of the sermon as well. But, but all of this is happening according to God's plan, and part of this plan of God was that his, he would be rejected by his own people. But then he arrives to, then he arrives to Galilee, and, and look what it says in verses, um, uh, verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. And having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves have come to the feast. Back in, back in chapter 2, we were told that Jesus went to, the, to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover, and he did a whole bunch of signs while he was in Jerusalem. And, and in fact, I have it on the screen, John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Look what it says. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. So here's the situation. Jesus goes to Jerusalem. He's doing signs there. Like, many people are believing in him because they see these signs. And yet it says, Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them because he knows what's really in their hearts. He knows what's inside of man. Whatever kind of faith that they had, and these are the same group of people that ended up in Galilee that received him, whatever kind of faith that they had, it, it wasn't coming from the depths of their heart. Remember what we saw last week when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well when he says, like, true worship is worship in spirit and in truth. It comes from, like, the depths of who you are, and it's in line with everything that God's revealed in his word. Here it was just like, man, Jesus can do cool party tricks. Like, we'll follow him. They were caught up in the sensationalism of his signs, but it wasn't like John, Jesus said in John chapter 3, their, their faith didn't bring them this new birth that created this new heart by the Spirit of God. He didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was in them, and their faith was an inadequate faith. It was a faith where they believed in, like, they believed in God. They even believed in Jesus to some degree. But it wasn't a faith where they, like, fully understood what they did, submitted themselves to like the truth of what Christ has accomplished for them and let that truth order their lives after it. That's what saving faith looks like. The testimony of the early church is that Jesus is Lord. He's king. Which means that we, we yield to him and we submit to him and we, we fully depend upon him and rely upon his finished work on the cross. And that from that, we receive, in, in that faith, we receive a new heart and a new spirit. And from that, we walk in this like, obedience that's motivated out of the heart from the depths of our spirit and in accordance with the truth. That's worship in spirit and truth. But these Galileans had this inadequate faith. In fact, we're going to see that Jesus rebukes them for the kind of faith that they have in just a minute. Now, before I move on, let me just make two points of application. First of all, like... I think, I think all of us should consider the kind of faith that we have. There's a lot of people that say, oh, I believe in God or I believe in Jesus. And I put it in like air quotes or whatever that's called. There's a, there's a harsher name than that. What are they called? Scare quotes? Shame quotes? Something like that. I'll put them in air quotes. Uh, because it's not genuine faith. They believe in God because maybe 
they saw an answer to prayer and God delivered him from like there, there was something that happened there that they, they have to acknowledge that like God exists but they've never really like engaged their hearts with the claims of Jesus they've never really like like saw themselves for who they are and saw Jesus for everything that he accomplished and and relied completely upon him. They remain sovereign over their life and are just to have, happy to have Jesus as like a, a homeboy to come along and help out whenever they need to. That's what the Galileans were doing. They saw these miracles. They couldn't deny that God was doing something, but they didn't like submit to Jesus and they didn't uh, let like his claims like overshadow their life. They didn't really, they didn't really believe. It was inadequate faith. Now, in saying that, it might, it might be inadequate, but it's a beginning. Like, what we're going to see is that, is that Jesus doesn't leave, just leave the Galileans there. In fact, we're going to see him engage a particular Galilean who kind of represents the whole group, I think, and show that, oh, like, that beginning of, your, of faith is, should take us somewhere. Like, if you're in that place where you're like, man, maybe Steve's talking to me. Maybe I've just had, like, this... I, I just kind of acknowledge Jesus because that's what my family's always done or that's what, like, it, or I've gotten some answer to prayer or he's worked in some way or I just, you know, whatever. But I've never, like, engaged the truths of the gospel and brought my life under his lordship. If that's you that, and, you're, and you're seeing that, like, you're in a good spot because that's the beginning of the journey. But the trick is don't just stay there. Don't just stay there. Martin Luther, he's a, he's a great example of this. Um, I grew up Lutheran, so I had to learn this story in, like, uh, in catechism class before I became a Christian. And um, uh, Martin Luther was in college, and he was going home from college one day, and this huge thunderstorm like, like came up around him, and lightning was hitting the grounds. I think lightning hit a tree in front of him, and it fell across the trail. At least that's the version of the story I got in catechism class in the Lutheran church. And and it terrified Luther so much, he fell to the ground, and he, pray, and he cried out to St. Anne, who was the patron saint of, like, minors, and his dad was a minor, like, St. Anne, save me! And uh, he, he doesn't get struck by lightning, he survives, and then, then out of, like, devotion to God, who intervened in that moment for him, he becomes a monk. And you would think, like, oh, like, Luther is a Christian now. Like, he was like studying in college. Maybe he was even studying law. I can't remember what he was studying. He, after that moment, he threw a big party for all of his friends and said, hey, I'm not going to see you again because I'm becoming a monk. And you would think like, oh, like Luther has become a Christian. Like he's living in this life of devotion to the Lord, but he didn't understand the truth of the gospel at that point. He didn't engage Jesus for who he claimed to be until he was reading in the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, he encounters this verse, and the just will live by faith. And, and he talks about, and you can read this all over the internet, like he talks about, he posted it himself. Um, <laughs> he talks about how he had to wrestle in his mind how like God could, could call someone just. And he realizes that when he places his faith in Christ, that God brings, like, kind of satisfies his justice and his grace at the same time. And, and he says, and that verse became a doorway into heaven for me. So it begins with this journey, right? He had this inadequate faith when he cried out to St. Anne and God rescued him from, like, the, the lightning. And praise God he didn't just stay a monk. Praise God that he went to, like, the word of God and let, like, transform his heart 
and make him a new person and open his eyes so that he could see who Jesus was and believe in him. So if that's you, and I, I want to challenge you to press in and keep like seeking who Jesus is and, and growing in your faith because living faith is a faith that will grow and continue to like impact more and more and more of your life. And, you, and, and as you let that happen, you'll experience more of the life that Christ has for you. You know, there's another point of application here is that, you know, Jesus had gone to the Samaritans. So like the first group of followers we have now of Jesus is Samaritans. We're going to see a, another unlikely culprit like, like, that comes to faith in, in our verses today. But, but the reality is this, is that we saw this like real clearly at the Women's of the Well, and I'm going to keep like um, hammering on it until our text lights, lightens up about it. Like Jesus, the very people that you would have expected to accept Jesus didn't accept him. And it was the Galileans, like the rednecks over in Galilee, that actually did. And I think yeah, every single one of us has a, a list in our minds of like those people that are too far gone to come to Jesus. Does anybody not have that like list in your mind? You know, like, yeah. I mean, I think if we if we believe the truth of the gospel, we won't have that list. And and I I'd I like to say I don't have that list, but in my heart sometimes I look at some situation and I'm like, wow, like can the gospel really, like, transform that mess? And I know in my head, yeah, absolutely, right? Sometimes my heart struggles with it, though. But I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to go. I, I guess I will go here. Listen to what the prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah 9 says, the one that I couldn't quote. Isaiah chapter 9. This will be familiar. We talked about this during Advent, verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In the earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now listen, the people who walked in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. You will multiply the nation. You will increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Skip down to verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with righteousness and justice from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The people who sit, walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. And it's immediately fulfilled in the Galileans, which become like this picture of what God's going to do throughout the world. What this tells us is that Jesus' mission, as he was rejected by those that you would expect to believe him, was to go to those people that... Like, everybody thought we're too far out of reach. The Samaritan, the Galileans, those who live in darkness, upon them the light's shone. You know, so it needs to be, a ch it should be a challenge for us as a church, it should be a challenge for each of us as individuals, that whatever that group of people is, that our hearts struggle with thinking like, man, can the gospel really transform that situation? Absolutely it can. It's the gospel is for those who walk in darkness. The gospel is for those who dwell in a dark land. 
And, and Jesus' example is the gospel where he relentlessly pushes us to cross those boundaries and represent Christ to them. So if you've got a list of people in your head like, hey, that would be a great person to have at our church. And like, boy, I hope our church isn't filled with a bunch of those people. <laughs> These are probably the group of people that God's working in. The people that walk in darkness will see a great light. It's not the healthy that need a physician, but the sick. Like the gospel relentlessly pushes us to those that are, that are different than us. And God creates a people for his glory out of like natural enemies. That's what we're to be as a church. Not a group that rallies around political ideology. Not a group that rallies around like socioeconomic status or whatever. The church is a group of people who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light and live under the lordship of Jesus Christ from every walk of life. That's what Jesus is showing here. <clears throat> and he does that. Listen what happens next. If you get into the next thing, this unexpected faith. We come to verses 46, and he says, And he came, therefore, to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water and the wine. Curious why he stopped there. I wonder if they have like, some of that 300 gallons of wine left over. Um, he's, there, he's there probably to visit his friends. And there was a certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. So like 20 miles away, while Jesus is there visiting his friends in Cana, um, this official has a, has a sick child. And, and he's called a royal official. And it's easy for us just to read over that, but we have to understand who this guy is. Like, if, by calling him a royal official, what, what they're saying is that he worked for the, the uh, administration of this, the tetrarch, Herod Antipas. If you're familiar with any of the Herods, like, it's really hard to keep track of the Herods because they're all named the same. It's all like this big thing of where everybody's named Herod, my brother Herod, and my other brother Herod, and I'm Herod, and but this Herod Antipas, like, uh, we already know he's a, he's a bad guy from our story. Because we've been told that he's the guy that throws John the Baptist into prison. Earlier in John, we saw that. And, and what we find out from the other Gospels is the reason why he threw John the Baptist into prison was because he had married his sister-in-law. And John the Baptist kept calling him out for his immorality. And he didn't like that. So um, he had him thrown in prison. And then Herod Antipas, this guy, was throwing a big party one time. This is later. But was throwing this big party and... And his daughter came and danced for the crowd, and his wife wanted, Herod Antipas, I mean, wanted John the Baptist dead because of all the stuff John the Baptist was saying. And when, when his daughter's dance pleased Herod, Herod says, hey, I'll promise to give you anything you want. He's like, she's like, well, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so Herod, in order to please his guests and save face, like beheads John the Baptist and serves up his head as like a party favor in this big party. Later, he's the guy that is involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. So Herod is a politician who stands against everything that's good and right and true and just. He's cunning. In fact, Jesus even calls him a name. I think it's, he's the only person that Jesus ever calls a name. He calls Herod a fox, like, like this cunning, like crooked person. Jesus called out. This guy is an enemy of everything that's good and right and true. And, and this official... Works for him. He's part of his administration. So here you have a guy who's complicit with all of Herod's like corruption. And he's got a sick kid. And, and the reality is this, is this curse that's fallen over the world, this curse that brings sin and death upon us, like that brings sickness and sorrow. Like it is no respecter of persons. All of Herod's and, and his administration's power and treachery and cunning and, and could, couldn't stop like 
whatever this disease was that was about to kill this guy's son. And so he's kind of out of hope. In desperation, he comes to Jesus. Verse 47, And when he heard that Jesus was, had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was requesting to him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. The language is like this ongoing thing. It's like, please, 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 come and heal my son. And apparently there's a crowd there, because look what happens. Jesus therefore said to him, unless, my translation says, you people, most, some of your translations just say you, see signs and wonders you simply will not believe. But what, what Jesus does is he speaks to this guy directly, and, it, and at first it sounds like he's being dismissive of him. Like this guy's begging for the life of his son, and, and Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't even believe. But what Jesus is doing is actually demonstrating his grace here because he's challenging this guy to get out of that, that faith that all the other Galileans had and come to genuine faith, faith that wasn't just caught up in the sensationalism of Jesus, but actually trusted him. In fact, like, and this is a, the thing that's nuanced that you don't see in your translations. I think it's footnoted in a lot of your Bibles. Jesus therefore said to him, unless you, or my translation says you people, that's in the plural, both yous in verse 48. You people, signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's in the plural. So what Jesus is doing is Jesus looks this guy right in the face. He's speaking to him. But then he, he generalizes it to everybody. Unless y'all see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. What he's pointing out to the guy is like, your faith is just like all these other Galileans. It's just based on like what I can do for you. It's just based on like the sensationalism of my miracles. It's not really based on me. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. And so Jesus in his grace is, is calling the guy out to a deeper belief. And look what happens. The royal official said to him, Sir, this is the first time he's quoted, Sir, come down before my child dies. Like, it's a different word. Like, everywhere else in the text, it uses the word son. But when, you're, when, when, you're, when they're quoting the dad, he uses the word child. You know, it's not just this legal arrangement between a parent and a kid, a son. It's his child. I think we're meant to feel the pathos of it. Like, Jesus, my child is on the point of death. Please calm down and heal him. Let's look at some of what Jesus does. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. It's interesting what Jesus does there. He denies the guy's request at one level. The guy's asking him to come to Capernaum to heal his son, and Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to go. You go because your son lives. So he's looking right at this guy. I can't even imagine the, the weight of this moment. He's looking at this guy. This guy's pleading for the life of his son. He knows that Jesus can do these miracles. He wants to see a miracle in the life of his son. So Jesus, please come down and heal my son. And Jesus looks him right in the face and says, go. Your son lives. You know, if I was that guy, I'd be like, well, can you just throw up a little like side miracle just to like give me a sign that like, can you do something, make a little bit more wine? I don't know. All that the guy had in that moment was Jesus' word. Go, your son lives. So Jesus, Jesus is saying, are you going to trust in everything you can see? Are you going to trust in me? 
And are you going to trust in my word? My word is good. Like, go, your son lives. Look at the guy's response. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. The man believed and started off. Like his faith moved him to this place where moved him to this place where he's going to order his life now under what he believes that's true um, based only on like the reliability of Jesus and the truthfulness of his word. And he heads out. 20-mile walk back to Capernaum to see what's going to happen with his kid. He believed. Like now his faith isn't like in miracles, it's in Jesus. It's, re- it's relying upon him. It's relying upon what, what he said and, and this reality that like so often our faith just gets wrapped up in everything we can see and we don't believe what God says. We don't believe what his word is and we don't like set out in obedience to the word. Like listen to what Jesus says to Thomas in John chapter 20 verses 28 through 31. This is after Jesus' resurrection. You guys might know this story if you've been, if you've been in the church for a while. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus appeared to some of, the, some of the disciples, and Thomas wasn't there, so they told him, hey, Thomas, Jesus is alive. And he's like, he's like unless, I, unless I can touch his side and put my hand where they speared him and see the marks on his hands, I'm not going to believe. Unless I can see it, I'm not going to believe it. And listen to what, so then Jesus appears to, to Thomas and shows Thomas like his wounds, and Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who did not see and yet believe. Like there's something about faith that we believe God to be true. We believe his word to be true. We don't don't need to see all the stuff. And we believe, like Jesus is talking to us. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. And then the very next verse, I think I have it in there. What's the next verse? There we are. Therefore, this is the verse that we talked about already. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. What John's telling us is like, we don't need to see the miracles because we have the word of Jesus right here. And we can believe in him without seeing. In fact, that's what faith is. Listen to what... Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things what? Not seen. Later on in Hebrews 11.6, And without faith it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Like, you need to press in. Like, if you want your faith to grow, if you want your faith to be living, like, seek God. Seek God in his word so that you can believe that he's, and seek that he's a, Believe that he is, and he rewards those who seek him. Uh, Down in Hebrews 11, verse 24, talking about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. You know, there's something about this, this man's face that illustrates that to us. 
He engages Jesus. Jesus makes a promise to him. Go, your son lives. And he believes. He has this assurance of things hoped for, this conviction of things not seen. He sets out in faith. Like, and he endured as seeing what is unseen. The, the faithfulness and reliability of Christ. It brings us to our third point this morning, like this expanding faith in verses 51 through 54. Look what happens. And the reason why I wanted to throw that map up is it's 20 miles between Cana and Capernaum. We don't know how the guy traveled. Some people think he traveled by horse, but there's no indication of that. I'm guessing he probably walked. Um, It says, and as he was going down, his slaves met him saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them at the hour that he began to get together. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, his fever left him. So his father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed. Interesting what happens there is that this guy's walking. We find out that it was in the seventh hour that he had this conversation with Jesus and he set out. It's about one in the afternoon. So he's walking this 20-mile walk beginning at one in the afternoon. He either had to walk through the night or he, he slept sometime because he doesn't arrive, like he doesn't engage his servants who are, who are coming back the other way until the next day. Probably got d- too dark, so he, he crashes somewhere. And I just wonder the conversation that was going on in the guy's head during that walk. Because it's interesting because it says, and we already found out that he believed, but then in verse uh, 53, after he, he hears what happened, it says that he believed. Well, like, which one? Did you believe back then? Or, yeah. But, I, like, isn't our belief kind of like that? Like, he's walking this 20-mile walk. I'm like, really? Can I just trust this guy's word? He said, your son lives. Like, three words? Like, what were the conversations going on in his head? Oh, maybe I should have stayed there and made him come with me. Or maybe I should have done this. Or maybe I should have done that. Or He goes down to sleep. I wonder how soundly he slept that night as he's like anticipating like what's going to happen when I what am I going to find when I arrive at home like the psalmist says this in psalm 4 in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone o lord make me dwell in safety and i have to tell you like verses like that like super convicting to me cuz i mean a lot of you know this like there was a season in my life where i had terrible sleep i can i could never say in peace I lie down and sleep because you alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. Maybe that's you. Like Maybe you're like wrestling around. Like You wake up and your mind is just on those things and your doubts and your insecurities and your fears and you're just wondering what God's doing. I wonder what that guy, if that guy slept soundly or not. He believed, so he set out. But I have to suspect since it says that he believed again, that some doubts had creeped in until, until what, look what happens. Like God, as he's walking in, in, a, in accordance with what he knows to be true, like he believes in Jesus' word and he begins to set out. Like Jesus, like graciously then, like God's circumstances here, graciously build the guy's faith and expand it. He's like, oh, your son lives. He's like, what time? One o'clock. And he's like, wow, that's exactly when Jesus told me your son lives. So I believe again. I believe more deeply. I believe more richly. I trust Jesus even more. Like, if you want your faith to grow, like, I think, like, this verse is kind of giving us a simple plan. Like, start to order your life in accordance with what you already know to be true from God's word. 
and walk in obedience to that even when it completely doesn't make sense. And as God meets you at different times on that journey, like your faith will grow deeper and deeper and deeper. But it begins with believing the word and setting out on the journey. And this person believed again and expanded into his heart. And then look what happens. He himself believed and his whole household. So when he gets home and he finds his son well and he finds like everybody there, he tells them the story. And all of those people believe. Because they like the same thing happened to them. They hear like the word that Jesus spoke. They see like God faithful to, to accomplish his word in their life. And they believe as well. You know who you who Yehuda, you can come up to uh, to close us. You, yeah, you do. I'm going to blame it on the time change. You know the Bible's filled with examples of this, like Abraham himself, who was one of the patriarchs of the faith. God promised Abraham that, that, like, in you, all of the nations will be blessed. In your seed, your child, all of the nations will be blessed. Uh, how many years later would it have been? Ten years later, Jesus, God meets with Abraham again and, and kind of reiterates the promise again. And it's at that moment that God had made the promise to Abraham when he was 75 and he had no children. Ten years went by and he still had no children. And, and then God spoke to him again and it says, and Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him. It was, it was counted to him as righteousness that Abraham came to faith and God's righteousness was given to him. And then it was 14 more years before he actually saw the fulfillment of that promise and the birth of Isaac. It's 25 years from the first promise of a child until he actually sees the promised child come and his faith grew through that time and in fact it took 10 years he was in 10 years in that place before he actually believed the promise listen to what Romans says about this in Romans chapter 4 is what Paul tells us without becoming weak in faith he contemplated his own body now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb so he had been promised it 25 years before which even at 75, it's an unlikely promise, but here it's like an impossible promise. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Like it was a growing thing. He grew in faith. He got the promise, didn't believe, didn't believe, believed, and then he finally saw the fulfillment of it, and he really believed. It goes on. And being fully assured what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that, that it was credited to him, but for our sake, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over for our transgressions and raised because of our justification. You know, the, the truth that we need to engage by faith as seeing him as unseen, is the truth that Jesus was delivered up for our transgression. We, we, we willingly disobey the Lord, and Jesus offered himself up in our place for that, and he was raised from the dead for our justification, that God declares those who genuinely place their faith in him as righteous. It was credited to them. Like all of Jesus' righteousness gets credited to me and to you when we come to faith in Christ.
but he grew strong in faith. Like he believed and like this guy, he believed and then doubted and then believed again. And God was just expanding his faith and he expanded his faith as he shared it with his family and his family believed. Living faith is like that. It's not just something you pray a prayer when you're at like some youth group camp someday. So as I'm wrapping up and then I'll let who to close us, you know, just, just want to challenge you to generally come to grips with Jesus, who he is and what he came to do. Don't just believe like in Jesus, like he, he exists and stuff because even the devil believes that. And then I want to challenge you to believe and set out. Like take what you know to be true and start to walk in obedience to it and let God like expand your faith as he proves himself to you over and over again. So you don't want to close us, then I'll close us in prayer. You know, I was just thinking about like that idea of like letting what we believe to be true, like order our life. You know, I think about what we just sang. You know, when I cry, when I go, don't cry for me in my father's arms, I'll be like whatever you face in this world, whatever happens tomorrow, like we know that, one day, like, the Father is going to receive us in into his presence and we'll experience, like, love and joy like we've never experienced before. The wounds this world left on my soul will all be healed and I'll be whole. Do we believe that? Do we believe that, like, all the wounds that have happened to you from other people, from yourself, from the, this world system around us, like, do we really believe that in following Jesus, like, we'll experience, like, healing and wholeness? Um, what's the next verse? Gold and silver blind the eye, temporary riches lie. What do you strive for like every day? Like, or is it, do we really believe that come and eat from heaven's store, come and drink and thirst no more? That's what he told the woman at the well, right? If you, if you come to me, like you'll receive living waters and you'll never have to thirst again. When my time below does end, for my life belongs to him. Who will raise the dead again? It don't matter where you bury me. I'll be home and I'll be free. It don't matter where I lay. All my tears will be washed away. The hope of the gospel is the hope for people that are in the darkness, that are broken, that are sick, that are wounded, that are weeping. And when we believe Jesus, like like this man did, even though he was the least likely you would expect to come to faith, he worked for Herod. Like, you'll be set free. And there's healing and life in his name. And he experienced that in a temporary thing with his own child, but ultimately he experiences it from the life that we have in Christ. So let me just close our prayer and, and then I'll dismiss you guys. Like, Father, I just thank you for the work of Jesus Christ who sets us free from the, our desires for temporary riches, who gives us food and, and uh, water so that we'll never hunger and we'll never thirst. And so, Father, I just ask like, for your grace upon each of us, that we, that we this week live in light of what we know to be true, that we, that we pursue you, that we follow after you, that we walk in obedience to, to what your word has told us, and that um, as we see you just work in our life and work through that again and again, that our faith would be deepened in you and expand in the lives of others. So just thank you for your your kindness to us that you that you always challenge us out of our kind of insufficient faith into a deeper one in you and ask that you would do that in our hearts this week um, pray too for our ladies as they travel back from women's retreat that you give them safe travels and um, 
so that we can all worship here together next week. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.